Welcome to another edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air, the podcast version, if you will, of the Delaware Valley Journal, covering the stories that you care about in Bucks, Chester, Delaware, and Montgomery counties. And we're delighted to have, as always, the editor of Delaware Valley Journal, the lovely and talented Todd Shepard. Todd, how are you? Uh, lovely. Not so sure about that. Uh, <laughs> I think that the, the phrase is, uh, look in California, feel in Minnesota. <laughs> So here's what I want to know. Who do you got to know to get a waiver around this joint? I had no idea what a big deal Governor Wolf's waivers were until I started reading about it at Delaware Valley Journal. So tell us the story. Well, this goes back to the original action from Governor Wolf. Essentially, he puts out a a declaration saying everything is closed in the state, but he set up a waiver process for that. Obviously, you want to have some businesses that may need to stay open for certain reasons. But Republicans, ever since that time, and that was March 19th, they've been saying we need to know how this process is working. Um, People that are applying, they need to know where they are in the process. Um, And media outlets have been requesting lists of the businesses that have been granted waivers. Nobody has gotten anything, right? So just like you said, uh, what do I have to do to get a waiver in this town? I I think it wouldn't be so bad except for the fact that uh, there are a couple of examples. First of all, auto auto dealers, um, there were – most of them were closed, but a few were allowed to open. Also garden centers. And this – the garden centers thing is really a a deal between big business and small business. You have the sort of small mom-and-pop flower shop. They're closed, but it's the Lowe's and Home Depots that are still open. And so there's almost this feeling that the small business owner is getting the shaft in this whole process. And uh, it's interesting. You talked to a state senator who said that their offices are getting flooded with people saying, hey, the guy down the street opened his business. Why can't I open mine? Yeah, that was State Senator Bob Minch uh, from Bucks and Montgomery counties. Um, but even, uh, you know, look, on Thursday, there was a, uh, a hearing, well, a vote by a Senate committee where they decided to subpoena Governor Wolf and even the Democrats, Bob Minch is a Republican, uh, but even the Democrats acknowledged um, they are being besieged by their constituents. So all of the, whether you're a state senator, state representative, they are all feeling the heat and they all, almost all of them admit that the number one call, uh, the number one issue they're hearing about from their constituents is that person's open, I'm closed, I want to take safety precautions. Please let me open. And so this started with a request for documents, right? And then it's kind of now reached the point where there was a vote uh, involving subpoenas. Right. Originally, uh, Republicans were saying, show us the list. Again, media outlets were filing right to no requests. They were being told that the offices were closed so they couldn't process the right to no requests. But yes, Republicans on Monday sent a letter to the governor and they said, and they outlined a, a, a huge amount of documents they wanted from the Wolf administration. That came with a, a two-day deadline, Wednesday. So when they didn't get it on Wednesday, Thursday, they decided to subpoena the documents. So where do we go from here? Are the residents of the Delaware Valley and Pennsylvania in general going to find out why some businesses received special dispensation from the Pope of Harrisburg, or are we not going to find out? All right. So there's there's two avenues here. So on the subpoena issue, no one really has a sense whether or not the Wolf administration is going to play ball or not. And if they don't, this would go into a court battle and the court battle would likely take months. The other issue is the state auditor general agreed to do an audit on this information. However, 
he said any findings he released would not name businesses in particular. So it's kind of an awkward middle ground to answer your question. Um, it would provide some answers on how the process is being implemented, but it may not provide answers to particular businesses. So those are the two big uh, investigative fronts that might reveal some answers, but they might not completely answer everyone's question. So uh, what's the response in Pennsylvania to uh, Governor Wolf's pretty aggressive approach to uh, coronavirus? He's not talking about loosening it up a la Georgia or Colorado. No, but obviously he's made some concessions to the legislature, right? They were running a bill that would open up construction. So he beat them to the punch and opened construction a week earlier. But how does that translate into polling? I'm looking at a Washington Post story. It shows Wolf, uh, his how he is handling the crisis. He's rated in the 70s, the low 70s. But that puts him above other governors, for example, uh, the Michigan governor or Florida. So not quite rated as highly uh, as Cuomo in New York, but still doing very well. I think what's interesting here, Michael, is 99% of the time, politics is a zero-sum game. When, when one side is losing, the other side is winning. I, quite honestly, over the last week, I think both Governor Wolf and legislative Republicans have both been winning simultaneously. Um, Republicans have been getting all of the things they wanted for on the investigative front, but at the same time, you see Wolf's uh, his poll numbers continuing to climb. And since you brought up the issue of partisan politics, uh, we had a piece at Delaware Valley Journal uh, not long ago in which the uh, Chester County Democratic Committee chair predicted that uh, Democrats would pass GOP in voter registration in Chester County. Yeah, well... So he made that prediction to us in the last days of March, and he said, if we stay on the pace we are doing right now, we will pass the GOP in uh, mid-April. At the time when we did that, they they were trying to finish off the last bit of about a 1,000 voter registration margin that they were trying to surpass. Um, right now, I just looked at the latest numbers, that's down to 310. I think if the lockdown had not happened, he probably would have been right. And I think they, the Chester County Democrats will surpass the GOP in voter registrations probably sometime in May. But here's the historical perspective. In 2018, the GOP's lead uh, in the summer of 2018 was 15,000. That's an enormous voter registration advantage to swallow and overtake in a two-year period. And now it's down from 15,000 to 300. Yes. And, wow. and they, they probably will f- finish that off in May. Certainly, if not in May, I mean, the trend is, is unmistakable. If not in May, they will in June. I, I, would, I would feel very comfortable in placing that bet in Las Vegas. Uh, there was another story at Delaware Valley Journal about coronavirus and the health impacts, and particularly on the elderly. And you're seeing states around the country where 80, 90 percent plus of the actual fatalities from coronavirus are are, are older folks, senior citizens, et cetera. And uh, Governor Cuomo set off a firestorm uh, with the policy of his state denying nursing homes the ability to turn away COVID positive patients. They were saying them, you have to find a way to accommodate people who are actually infected with the coronavirus. Uh, and that fire was so hot, it swept all the way to Pennsylvania. Right. And, and not just New York, but also right across the river in New Jersey, they were doing it as well. 
look, you can understand the controversy here. Uh, they're the most vulnerable population. Hospitals are trying to ease their their load, so they want to move the patients that have recovered into nursing homes. But are you injecting more vulnerability to the patient to the people in nursing homes or long term care facilities that are already doing well? Uh, you, so you can understand why it's so controversial. We talked to Zach Schamberg at the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association. That name doesn't really sound like nursing homes, but really they are the the association that covers nursing homes. What struck me about this, Michael, was they weren't shy in offering up their their opinions here. They were very willing to let the governor know, um, we're glad you haven't done this yet. It needs to stay the same. Um, so they were really sending a, a, a very strong, clear message to Governor Wolf. You can't do this. I think the other thing here is, is as I looked through many of their news releases over the last month, They've been very uh, pointed and they've made a lot of criticisms to Governor Wolf over the last month, and they've really been trying to get uh, a seat at the table, even asking for the governor to create sort of a, a nursing home czar uh, so that th that a person that could facilitate liaise, if you will, between nursing homes and the administration. And the hospitals, because the hospitals have patients that they've cared for who are ready to be, uh, you know, to, to leave, to go home or somewhere and they are coronavirus positive and they need a place to be. And if they were taken from a nursing home, they want to go back to the nursing home and they can't. And so you definitely need a solution there. You also found some, I think, pretty astonishing numbers from Bucks County regarding coronavirus and uh, extended care facilities. Right. Well, new data that came out after we did our story on on the New York, New Jersey mandatory issue. Uh, new data came out after that. And the State Department of Health says 71 percent of the covid-19 deaths in Bucks County were people living in nursing homes. So that that really is the number that puts that entire story into context in terms of what a life and death issue, a mandate from the government would be. One last thing before we get to our special guest. Uh, so uh, we talked about it in last week's podcast. Uh, our reporter, Hiram Reisner, wrote the story. People really are calling telemedicine places with their dogs and cats. And since we ran the story, there's now been a flurry of information. Oh, my gosh, dogs, pugs down in North Carolina are catching coronavirus, too. Todd Shepard once the disease reaches our house pets, that's when it's really serious, right? Uh, boy, you should people should check out the Facebook comments uh, where we posted this story on Delaware Valley Journal Journal's Facebook page because that's where the debate is. Look, I'm not a pet uh, custodian. That's the the new politically oh, really? correct is that term. What you're not a pet parent. Yeah, you're not a you're not a pet owner. You're a pet custodian. Um, I'm not a pet custodian, so I, I can't really speak uh, educated on in an educated fashion about this. But the other thing I would urge is for people that haven't read the story on Delaware Valley Journal, please go and check it out just to see the image that goes along with the story, <laughs> because that's worth that's worth the price of admission completely. So that's my advice. Thanks so much, Todd. And now let's welcome to the Delaware Valley Journal on the air podcast, Bob Shrum. He has worked on more presidential uh, campaigns than probably anybody else around. He currently serves as the director of the Center for the Political Future at USC Dornsife. He's an expert in presidential elections, political advertising, and he's a great get as a reporter. I will tell you that. Bob Shrum, welcome to the podcast. Yes. 
I think maybe one of the most significant elections uh, of the last 30 years, and you were part of it, was when Dick Thornburg lost to Harris Wofford in a race that people thought was going to be a gimme in 1991 with George W. Bush at the top of the polls, et cetera. Am, am I right about that? Well, yes. I mean, it wasn't just George W. Bush at the top of the I'm polls. Excuse me, George H.W. H. Bush. Bush. Thank you. George H.W. Bush at the top of the polls. It was uh, when we did our first poll for Wofford, it was like 64 Thornburg, 18 Wofford. Ouch. Uh, and Wofford ultimately won by 10 points. Uh, and the reason that election had such great significance was because we discovered in the focus groups that when you tried to talk about the economy, people wanted to talk about health care. Health care was not only an issue for them, it was a surrogate for what they were feeling economically. And so health care became the defining issue of that campaign. And uh, Wofford had a line in one of the ads, if criminals have a right to a lawyer uh, when they're on trial, then Americans ought to have a right to see a doctor when they're sick. Uh, and it was very powerful and it resonated with people. And what's significant also is that two of the people that were part of that team were Paul Begala and um, uh, Jim Carville, James Carville. Well, it was Mike Donilon, who's now Biden's principal strategist. Uh, uh, I, I was there. James was there. Paul was there. Uh, so it, it was a, it was, you know, I, I won't comment on myself, but it was a pretty good collection <laughs> of talent. So how has Pennsylvania changed on the electoral map from the time that you first started working on presidential campaigns to today? Well, you know, no Republican had carried Pennsylvania uh, since 1988 until 2016. Uh, I believe that part of that in 2016 was that the Clinton campaign relied on Philadelphia to drive the whole train. Uh, and yes, you're, there are a lot of other places in the state you're not going to win, but you have to get enough votes that you can carry the state. Uh, I don't think that mistake will be made by Joe Biden, who in any event, I think has some some uh, real resonance in Pennsylvania. Mr. Shrum, yes, Todd Shepard, pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, the 2018 elections, obviously what we heard right after that was the, the battlegrounds were in the suburbs. Orange County comes to mind. Also, this single congressional district in Oklahoma City uh, or the suburbs of Oklahoma City. Right. So obviously what we cover at Delaware Valley Journal are the, the suburban counties. And how do you see uh, – I guess a lot of the reporting we heard right after 2018 was it was uh, wives, it was uh, mothers – who didn't like the tone of the message, but is there something deeper that we can get into now that we see how the, the battle for the suburbs are being fought rather than just the message or the tone of Donald Trump? I don't think that Trump has improved his situation in the suburbs and with white women in the suburbs who were his margin of victory in 2016. I think the situation has deteriorated uh, since the midterms. A lot of that has to do with coronavirus and then the fall-on effects on the economy uh, and uh, what Trump is saying to blame other people, to excuse himself, uh, may work with his base, but I don't think it works with those swing voters. Uh, it's a very interesting part of the world politically. Uh, one, of the, one of the books I read many, many years ago about precisely the area we're talking about was by James Michener, the famous author of Hawaii and Giant and Exodus, 
uh, no, Exodus is Leon Uris, Hawaii and Giant. And uh, he was the county chairman in Bucks County for JFK in 1960. And he wrote a, a terrific book afterwards called The Report of the County Chairman. Now, Kennedy didn't carry Bucks County, but he did carry Pennsylvania, he did win the presidency. Uh, I think you will see a consistent uh, uh, movement across suburbs, not just in Pennsylvania, but across the country, uh, where voters are going to move away from Trump and toward Biden. That's why I think the strategy of the Trump campaign will be to see if they can make uh, Americans dislike Biden. Uh, they analytically believe they won in 2016 because voters disliked both candidates, but they disliked Hillary Clinton even more. Uh, and in a state like Pennsylvania, I think Biden is in pretty good shape. So they, they're going to try to damage him. They'll put on some positive ads in the next week or two, but that's just a cover for the coming fusillade of negative ads that we're going to see during the campaign. How much does a local connection like Biden's as someone who grew up in Pennsylvania, but obviously represented Delaware for 40 ish years in the Senate, et cetera. Is, is that something that works with voters in your experience or is that kind of overblown by well, the press looking for easy stories? It, it's not just where you're from. It's where you stand. And people have the sense that Biden not only comes from them, but understands them and cares about them and will fight for them. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons that people don't speak of very often that he was chosen as vice president in uh, 2008, which is that he could shore up Obama's weaknesses in places like Pennsylvania and Ohio and Michigan. And that's where they had him campaign all the time. Uh, and I actually wrote a column about it uh, back then saying that Biden was making a kind of unacknowledged contribution to the campaign in these industrial states. Mr. Shrum, I'm, I'm curious uh, to go back to the first comments that you made. You, you talked about the 1991 race and how people were saying they were concerned about health care, but that really turned out to be a, a proxy for the economy. Do you see any proxy issues or surrogate terms like that emerging in this race? Well, the way the 2020 race is shaping up, we have at this point uh, three big issues, and I think the president's on the wrong side of all of them. Uh, one is the coronavirus and how it was handled. Another is the economy. Uh, and a third is health care, which I think is obviously related to the first, but is a big issue in its own right. Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't believe that the Trump effort to say, for example, the economy is somebody else's fault uh, is going to work. That's the old Herbert Hoover approach to say this is caused by world conditions. And voters tend to reject that. I mean, George H.W. Bush tried it in 1992, saying there are a lot of factors that are out of our control. And voters simply said, that's not what we want from a president of the United States. We want a president who's going to take control and make the economy better. The uh, state of Pennsylvania is interesting because you have a couple of urban centers like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. But you also have a lot of uh, blue collar workers and blue collar strongholds, et cetera. And one of the uh, templates that's been placed over American politics since 2015 is that Trump is making the Republican Party the working class party and Democrats will be the you know white collar college educated party kind of flipping things around. Does, how, do, how do those factors play in Pennsylvania, in your opinion? Well, there are a lot of working-class people who are Democrats. I mean, if you think about Philadelphia and, say, the African-American population in Philadelphia, most of those people are not 
uh, necessarily college educated. Many of them do uh, conventional blue collar jobs. If you get into rural areas, and I think that's where it matters, you see a pattern emerging that's very strong. I was actually born in southwestern Pennsylvania in a place called Connellsville. My grandfather had represented uh, Fayette County and the surrounding areas in the Pennsylvania State Legislature as a New Deal Democrat. And when I went back uh, on a roots trip with my stepson a few years ago, because we moved to California when I was when I was very young, when I went back on a roots trip, uh, the whole political complexion of that area had changed drastically. Trump carried it easily. Uh, there are signs in the front yards of houses, um, you know, about the, the, the Second Amendment. There are there were a lot of houses that had the Ten Commandments posted in the front yard, and it was a hollowed-out town. I mean, when I left, it had somewhere around 20, or my parents took me away, it had somewhere around 20,000 people. It has far fewer than that now. Much of the downtown is boarded up. And frankly, uh, we haven't had an administration in a while uh, that has reached out and done something for these rural folks. What Trump gave them was a, an explanation. He said, this has all happened to you because of immigration and trade. Uh, that's certainly not true, uh, but it was an explanation, and it was a message, and it caught on. Uh, no one has done for a long while, what JFK did after he got elected and after he saw conditions in West Virginia when they passed the Area Redevelopment Act, which helped revive Appalachia for several decades. Uh, so, I, you know, that's one thing I think Biden will probably speak to in this campaign. I don't think it's going to be the point of the lance, but it will be, uh, it, it will be something that he'll talk about and that he'll try to do something about because he cares about those people. He cares about folks in Scranton. He cares about those who live outside Philadelphia and Allegheny County. Sir, if you continue along that line of thinking, we all know that Trump cobbled together an interesting coalition to carry the state in 2016. Um, so if he's trying to do that again in 2020, but if we, if we acknowledge that energy is probably his best point of attack, what would you say points number two or three might be? For Trump? Yeah. Yeah, well, well, first of all, of course, I don't advise him and never would. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, he, he seems absolutely committed to his base strategy. Uh, he speaks to his base all the time. His advisors were right to tell him to not show up at all these uh, press conferences every day about the, about the pandemic. And he took two days off, and then he couldn't stand to be out of the spotlight, so he went back. And all the polling evidence is that he's being hurt by, uh, by doing this uh, constantly and by being in front of the country constantly, when, frankly, he doesn't really know what he's talking about on this. Uh, but for him, it's about keeping the base happy. It's about energizing the base. The problem he has is I think you're going to have a very energized Democratic base on the other side. Uh, there's a political scientist uh, called Rachel Beikoffer, who's talked about negative partisanship having become the great driving force in elections. And she has predicted pretty clearly that Trump is very likely to lose because there is so much 
negative feeling about him among Democrats. I mean, Trump will be the great turnout machine for the Democratic Party. Well, I had to say this, but she uh, stole her concept from a uh, previous generation political philosopher you may be familiar with, uh, Bob W.C. Fields, who f- <laughs> he famous he famously said, I never vote for anyone. I always vote against. But I am always for Bob Shrum being on the Delaware Valley Journal on the air podcast. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. OK, thanks a lot. Take care. Proud, proud son of Pennsylvania. I didn't know that, Todd. That's very cool. And. I really do think his insights on suburbia and his his historical view over on the state and and the way that the coalitions have shifted over four decades incredibly interesting and insightful. Absolutely, and they're the kind of he's the kind of guest you're going to hear more of here on the Delaware Valley Journal on the air podcast. And so here's what we need you to do. And Todd, if I miss something, jump here. So we need you to go to our Facebook page, Delaware Valley Journal, and follow us there. You'll get updates all the time. Uh, definitely uh, check out the uh, website itself, Delaware Valley Journal. And our Twitter handle is DV underscore journal at uh, Twitter. I got all that right? All of that's right. At DV underscore journal. How, how did I do it on the first take? We'll have no, no. idea. We are going to do this again next week. Uh, Todd Shepard is the uh, editor of Delaware Valley Journal. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon. 